Thanks, Chris. It is always good to be here at 24. My family and I have visited a few times in the fall to hang out. I would pastored in um, Nashville for 16 and a half years, and we resigned last fall and have been on a journey seeing what God had next for us. Um, right now, what that is is speaking and communication and doing some leadership coaching. So it's been really, really fun. And who's been a key integral part of that is Chris and her interaction, um, Nathan, and just us uh, spending time together at conferences. Joey, where I stalk Joey online to see what new food he's making. That's what I do. And I see what I can't make, okay? And then Ben and his family, who have been tremendous friends through the journey as well. I can't speak as much to that. Uh, matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, Ben and I were hanging out um, with um, me and my, one of my daughters. My wife and I are, um, have been married 27 years. I know you think, wow, he's so young. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, but my wife and Johnny is here with us, and my other two daughters, um, my two daughters, should I say, not other two daughters, just two daughters. McKenna, who's 20, who's a college student at the King's College in Lower Manhattan, New York City, and Story, um, who is a junior in high school, or excuse me, a senior in high school. Oh my gosh, she just got out of her junior year. Oh my gosh, I just freaked out for a moment. I've got a college student and a senior. I ha- might be having an emotional moment right now. Um, but story that's at Hume Fogg. And so we're glad to be here with you guys. But McKenna and I were spending some moments with Ben, of course, over a cup of coffee in Nashville, Tennessee, talking about websites. Uh, we were chatting about marketing, social media, websites, just interaction with people. I am a lover of interacting with people, not just from up front, but more so one-to-one, one-to-three, whatever. I just love spending time with people, normally over coffee, normally over food, in some form or fashion in that way. But in our interaction with Ben, Ben was communicating to us that we could do the front page of a website in probably about an hour through Squarespace if we had those skills. We did not have those skills, okay? But one of the things Ben said is, on the top, you have your navigation menu. You've seen that in many websites you've been on. You have a navigation window. It'll say, I'm going to use the word buttons. I don't know if it's so much buttons, but you have different things you could click to go to specific areas in the website. One of those should be about, Gary, is what Ben said. Um, ben said, have an about page that it goes to share who you are, where your life has been, what you're doing now, and what you're looking at in the future. Seems pretty simple. Um, kind of what's the foundation of your life and what's the foundation of how you're speaking, what coaching and leadership looks like for you. So in doing that, I thought, who writes that? I guess it's got to be me, right? And I started thinking about what I've been about over the course of my life. Now, when you get old, you do that, I think, you know? I think I did it when I was young, too. But I reflected way back. What was I about when I was young? I mean, go back to the earliest time in your life. What were you about? I can remember when I was about riding a bicycle. Simple. I can remember having training wheels and I wanted to get those bad boys off and just being able to fly solo on my bike. I can remember. That's what it was about. That's what life was about for me. I can remember back to that time. Lived in Memphis, Tennessee. Grew up there. I'd get on my bike and my mom had a parameter. You can't ride past that. And I would always etch that parameter a little bit farther. I can also remember when I was about my first kiss. I can remember that. I can still remember the young lady by the name of Pam. I can't remember what age I was. I, somebody said, you changed the age for your first kiss, to which I always say I was so dazed by the kiss, I couldn't remember how old I was. Let's say I was eight. I do know this. She was 11. Yes. 
an older woman. I was the man at that point in time in my life, you know, <laughs> playing the unbelievable game of hide and go seek. Hide and go seek, I ended up behind a bush with Pam, and I thought, this might be the moment. I've been listening to love songs on the radios. My parents play them all the time. This might be what I'm about, my first kiss. So I leaned into Pam, gave her a kiss just on the cheek. Man, I thought, wow, this is pretty awesome. This is unbelievable. Until she came back around and told me what she was about. She slapped me right upside the head. And she communicated as a woman what she was about, you know? I can remember that. I can remember being about that. I can remember being about going to high school. I want to get in high school. Life will be different. It'll be changed. You're not going to be in elementary school or middle school or high school. There's going to be a new foundation of freedom and independence. I can remember in high school when I get my driver's license. That's what it'll be all about. I can remember in high school wanting a motorcycle. If I could get a motorcycle, that's what it would be all about. And I remember my dad bought me a motorcycle. I had no earthly idea why. Memphis, Tennessee, I used to cruise all over on a motorcycle. Then I thought, if I could just graduate, that's what I'll be about. I'll go to college. Graduated, went to college, and that's what I was about. Then I remember being in college going, if I could just get out of college, that would be good. My parents would like that as well. And then I used to dream of a relationship with the young lady that we were together forever, and that's what I was about. Then I can remember our dream to have kids. Not that we really dream about this, than the dream that the kids are out of the house. <laughs> you know, uh, we don't really dream that. Pray that, no. But what we're about. So I'm looking at the navigation bar and it says about, and I think, what am I about? What's my past been like? What am I about now? And what are my next steps? So this afternoon, if you were heading home to do the front page of a website and you had an about button, what would your button, or underneath your button, what would it say about you? What would it say about internally what you're like? Compassionate, encourager, teacher, learner. I mean, when I start to step up on the stage with Chris, he's an encourager. He's a lover of people, him and Aaron both. Ben Atkinson, man, he's one that will sit and talk with you and engage with you and give you truth for direction in life. Nathan is such an encourager through worship to point you to the Father. Whenever I'm around Joey, I think of somebody that's so hospitable, man. He just brings me in and I always feel a part, whether it's your relationship, the conversation. What would your about page say about you internally? What would it say about what you're accomplishing in life now with those around you? And what are your next steps? In a sense, where do you see yourself down the line? In the passage of Scripture that we're going to dive into today, the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, communicates to us foundationally what God longs for our continual steps to be. So if you're a follower of Christ, that it's foundational for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ and you're pursuing the things of God, he's saying, this is what I long for. I'm the one that created you and designed you, and I long for you to be in relationship with me. I long for you, in a sense, to accept the privilege of that relationship and engage in the responsibility of it. So if you have your Bibles, journey with me. Open them up, the book of Psalms, chapter 1. Psalms, chapter 1. Now, if you came this morning, you're a guest, whatever, you don't have a Bible, the guys have Bibles, and they'll bring those out. We'll also put Scripture up on the screen. 
Now, the scripture on the screen comes from the ESV. I'm reading from another translation, which is really kind of fun for me because you can see some of the distinctive in the words right there. You can journey right through those. Psalms chapter 1. What would your about page be? Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. Let's read it. It reads this way. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instructions, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like the chaff, the hus, excuse me, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let's just pause there for a moment. Then we'll come back and weave right through it. See, I had this wild belief that every person has this exhilaration of a new purpose in life. You've said, this is who I am. This is where I want to be. Could have been when you came to fall in the ways of Christ. Could be as you're exploring Jesus. But there's unique obstacles that we run into. On our about page, it'll say, this is who we are. This is what I'm about. We probably should put there, too, these are the obstacles in moving on in the months ahead, in the years ahead. Obstacles for you and I might come from family or friends. They might come as life gets more complicated, through marriage, through children, through career. They might come as we see things are uniquely different than we thought they would be. And so we're forced to make unique choices in our movement and who we're about and what it means to be about the things of the Father. No, when we experience the changes in movement, many times things happen. We dig into who we are in the ways of Christ, our identity. We lean into the story of the Father and how he sent his son Jesus to bring us back in a relationship with him, gospel. And many times we lean into what it means to walk in his ways on a daily basis, the rhythms of life. But sometimes we push those things aside and we get too overwhelmed and we just head a whole different course. What are you about? Will Herberg writes this. Redemptive history, which is stories of God's act of bringing people back into relationship with him from the start of humanity to now. He said, redemptive history is not merely a recital that we hear and understand. So you and I dig into God's word. It's not just something we hear. It's not just something we understand. It's also a demand upon us. It's assuming responsibility. It's accepting a privilege. For out of the scripture comes the voice of God, and faith is responding to the call of God. He goes on to say, when we read the scriptures, though we sat witnessing some tremendous epic drama being performed on a vast stage, when suddenly the chief character, who is also its director, steps forward to the front of the stage, fixes his eyes upon us, points clearly toward us, and calls us, you, you're wanted. Come up here, take your part. I believe in digging in intrinsically into Psalms 1, deep into Psalms 1, we'll understand more clearly that we're wanted and that God's calling us to come up here and take part. No, the structure of Psalms 1 is very straightforward, very clear, very succinct. 
It's an understanding that God longs for us to be in an intimate relationship with him, to be close with God, to flourish in life, to be happy, to have a sense of belonging. I share with you that my wife and I have been married 27 years. We met some 28 years ago at a student camp. I was the pastor at student camp. She was a sponsor with another church that was coming to the camp. She was a school teacher at the time. But for that summer, she was doing an internship with a camp. We met at camp that week. We interacted with each other. We got to know each other a little bit. She headed back to Texas, and I was still in Panama City Beach where I was doing camp. Now, students, this will freak you out if you think, how did I get in touch with her in Texas, and how did she get in touch with me at Panama City Beach? My daughter still, I mean, even though they know it's, oh, you text her. And there wasn't texting 27 years ago, okay? Oh, you just called her on your cell phone and broke into a song. No, there were no cell phones then, okay? Oh, you used the phone in the apartment where you were. No, there were no phones there. We had to do this weird thing. We've been married 27 years ago. I am old. I had to get and stand in line behind students and get up to what's called a payphone. A payphone, young people, is where you put money in, all right? Then you have the ability to make a call. And I would go up with a load of quarters to call. And I would put the quarters right on the top, and I would put them in. The weird thing was there was this line of people behind. So they would only try to give you a few minutes. No way. I wanted time, 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 time to talk to this young lady by the name of Johnny that I just met because I felt like the time was so important for us to grow in closeness if there was something that was going to be, to grow in intimacy if that was going to happen. And I would never use the word intimacy at that point in time, all right? But just to grow in relationship with each other. Scripture right here, Psalms 1, he wants us to understand what it means to grow in intimacy, closeness, and relationship with the Father. He wants us to understand that you and I have been created and designed to be in relationship with the one true God. He even communicates how, in a sense, the essence of the text. Verse 2 of chapter 1, it says he calls us to meditate on God's word, on his instruction. Some translations will say the law. He's saying, I want you to lean into that. So I'd love to think with me for a moment about this question. What is meditation? He's saying to meditate on God's word, to meditate on God's instruction, to meditate on the law. What is meditation? When I grew up, my dad was in the Navy. We traveled all around the world. We found ourselves in Japan for a variety of years, or for a number of years, excuse me, when I was really, really young. It was interesting, all the different uh, cultures and things that took place in Japan that didn't take place in America. Nothing bad, wrong, or whatever, just engaged in a different way. We began to eat rice every morning for breakfast. We really did. We all had a unique rice bowl. It was our rice bowl. It would just be rice and a couple little clumps of butter right on the top. I can remember my dad putting pepper on his. Must have been an easy breakfast gig, you know? I never thought about it like that. Here we're trying to engage in the culture, but that's what we did. I can also remember walking downtown in Okinawa as a young man about five, six years old. It was really strange. I would love to stand in the middle of my parents, not on the outside. Because if I stood on the outside of the parents as I walked past Japanese individuals. They would do this unique thing. They would touch the top of my head. At that point in time, I had hair on my head, blondish brown. It was unbelievable. I remember it like it was yesterday. (laughs) I have no memories of that. But they would touch the top of my head. Uniquely, because in the years that we were there, the 60s and the 70s, there weren't that many Caucasian Americans there. There weren't that many African-American individuals 
there. But we lived on the Navy base, and we hit Okinawa. They would touch your head if you were just not an Asian individual because the coarseness of your hair, the feel of your hair was uniquely different. I can remember that. I can also remember my parents engaging with those of different religions. And one of the things that they would do, not all Japanese individuals, but those in different religious groups and sects, which they would meditate. And meditation for them was this, placing themselves in a position that there would be nothingness within them. No thoughts, no ideas, no feelings, nothingness. Still in America today, there's a move to meditate in that way, that there's nothingness there. No, when you and I read in the scripture, it's not speaking of that form of meditation. Matter of fact, when it speaks about meditation, it's saying have a mental object, and that mental object is the one true God. That mental object is creator, Jesus. That mental object is in the book of Colossians, says Jesus is in the image of the invisible God. In John 1, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Psalms 119, it says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. You see, meditation has a mental object. So when he writes and he's saying, I want you to meditate on the instructions on the law, on my word, he wants us to mentally think through us, which refers to the entire Bible, not just the first few chapters, not just the Torah, but meditation that we lean into the things of God. Now, in 2019, the local community of faith, I don't think that's our norm of meditation. I think we've learned to have a different insensible um, form of meditation or thinking. And this is how I think about it like this. A couple weeks ago, my daughter and I were watching music awards at our house. I don't know if you watch music awards at your house. But when we watch music awards, we don't just watch the music awards. We watch what's happening on our television, and then we bring out our iPhones, and we begin to find things out about different artists. If we watch a movie, I'll pull up what are the characters, what are the other movies they've been in, what are the things they're doing, what all has happened in their life. So we're watching music awards, and music awards we're watching Sunday evening. There's two individuals that are on there that I hadn't seen in a long time, Janet Jackson and Madonna. Now, Janet Jackson and Madonna are performing, and my daughter's like, how old are they, man? And I'm like, they're old. They're too old to be doing what they're doing. That's what I'm thinking. If I did that on stage, you guys would be like, you're not my parents anymore, okay? I'm shunning you for a long, long time, all right? So what do I do? Information, I look up. How old's Madonna? How old's Janet Jackson? It's not the norm of my life when I meet you here that I go, I wonder how old you are. Let me look it up on Facebook, okay? Same thing with movies. We dive in. We want to know information that way. We live in this unique information world where we're always moving on to this point of information, this point of information, this point of information. Could it be that we read the Bible the same way? For information. Instead of for information, or instead of for interaction with our Creator. See, biblical meditation, as Gary DeShalman says, is different from informational reading. Biblical meditation is transformative reading, where we're leaning into God's Word. We're allowing it to probe us, to shape us, to rearrange us. We do it individually. We read it with our kids that way. We read it in small groups that way. We lean into it on a Sunday morning that way. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. For the word of God is a living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword 
penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the word meditate literally means to mutter to oneself. And when you think about it, you think, don't you get arrested for doing things like that? Eh, probably not arrested, but people don't spend time with you, maybe, if you just mutter to yourself. But it means to mutter to yourself. It means to ponder, a word that my dad used to say. It means to obsess on. It means to ingest so that the word of God gets down to your soul and it penetrates into your mind. It penetrates into your heart. It changes you. It transforms you. It rearranges your affections, your beliefs, and your values. Your foundations are based on the instructions of God's word. That's really what he's speaking of right here. I mean, muttering's not a norm today for us. Ingesting's not a norm. We look at things information-based. While reading through a few months back, looking at Psalms 1, I begin to try to think, who is it that I've seen, or who are the writers that I've heard, or what are the stories that I've heard about digesting Scripture that way? I reflected on one of my daughters when she was really, really young, and we were rearranging their room. And as we were rearranging their room, we were moving the covers and pillows and different things, and this pillow was so, so heavy. And I thought, why is this pillow so heavy? And one of my daughters said to me, well, it has stuff in it. What do you mean stuff in it? I put notes in there, okay? I put my journal in there. I put lyrics from songs in there. I put books in there for what I'm reading, all in my pillowcase, so when I put my head on it tonight or at night to sleep, I'll think about those things. Now me, I'm thinking, man, I couldn't sleep at all. The thing would be lumpy. It would be hard. It would be crazy. I didn't have that debate at that point in time. My daughter just went, all right, maybe that'll work, you know, <laughs> knowing that that's not how it worked. But what she was saying is, I want to lean into this. An old, old writer passed away years ago, Jonathan Edwards said it this way, he said, I poured long on one sentence to see the wonders contained in it. That's meditation. Thomas Watson said it this way, the reason we come away so cold from reading God's word. We do that, don't we? It's one of those things we're not open about. Like, I read that, I have no idea. Man, I'm uncomfortable with Scripture. I don't set time to read into God's word or meditate. I just find myself so cold in it. He goes on to say this. The reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Thomas Manton said this. What is the reason there's so much preaching, teaching, and so little practice? For want of meditation, he said. Constant thoughts are operative, and musing makes the fire burn. Green wood is not kindled by a flash or spark, but by constant blowing of meditation. When I read that quote from Thomas Matton, I went to something going on in our lives. We had just done some um, uh, makeover in our backyard, and I wanted a fire pit. Now, I live in East Nashville. We can't do a big fire brigade out there or anything like that. Like, I, in my mind, I dream you could do in Pleasant View. I dream your fire pits are like six feet by six feet, flames really high, you know? And the neighbors are like, look at that fire pit. Ours will be bigger. We can't do that, Okay the fire department will show up at our house. So I read online, I started to say, don't judge me, judge me. We all judge each other, that's okay. I read it on Pinterest, sorry. 
I read on Pinterest how you could do a fire pit through a washing machine drum or a dryer drum. And I thought, that's cool. I'll get me an old washing machine and take it out. Then I began to read the procedure on taking it out. I, I live downtown Nashville. My mechanical skills are really weak. Men, I'm, I'm very sorry. I can't hang with you at all. When my wife and I got married, she had the toolbox. I did not, okay? I had a set of golf clubs. That's all I had. You know what I mean? But I read that you can use a washing machine drum out of the washing machine. So I went to a appliance store, and I said, hey, do you have any washing machine drums for sale? The guy looked at me. Do you want a fire pit? Yeah. So he just handed one to me. He said, take this thing. We're going to throw this away. So I took it. Um, I think I'm supposed to say refurbished it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I stuck it in the backyard. That's what I did. You know what I mean? And I thought, let's make a fire. So I threw wood in there. I got nothing. So I had to research. I'm this urban kid that knows not much of life. How to make a fire. Not a Boy Scout, not an Eagle Scout, not anything. My wife said, how do you make a fire? What? Research that. So I researched it. Every fire needs three things to keep it burning. I am a nerd, okay? They are fuel, heat, and oxygen. I thought I could do that. We can do fuel, wood. I got wood. Heat. And I don't know if it's getting enough heat because the wood's not catching fire and oxygen. And then I continue to read. Kindling is larger than tinder and wood. The idea behind the use of kindling is that it's small enough to catch fire from the burning tinder and large enough to burn for a long enough time to allow the larger wood to catch fire. Aha! I need tinder, I need kindling, and I need wood. So I set it up. A little bit of just nothingness down there. Uh, a little, um, a, a few things that to get the, the fire started. And then go up to the larger wood. And then the larger wood. And then I remember oxygen. So blowing on the fire would increase the amount of oxygen. I've got this all on my iPhone as I'm making a fire out back. It's scary. I know. I know. It, which greatly accelerates the burning of the fuel, which creates more heat. I'm like, that's spectacular. Really pretty cool. The dryer drum has all the holes around it. You make a fire, you can just see it all in there. It looks really nice. Not a lot of fire. You got to kind of stand over it. Like, is your hand in there? Yeah, but it's warm, okay? It's what the scripture is speaking of here. It's what the stories of individuals are talking about. Paul Thompson says it this way Meditation is praying the truth deeply into your soul until it catches fire. By fire, I mean until it makes all sorts of personal connections so that it shapes your thinking, it moves your feelings, it changes your actions. Meditation is working out the truth of the Father personally. He goes on to say, study is like winter sun that shines. And I love to study. One of my strengths is input, which means I love to take information in. I love to study and attain things. But he says this, but it warms not. Meditation is like a blowing upon a fire where we don't mind the blaze or the heat. The end of the study is to hound up the truth, but a meditation is to lay it forth in holy conversation with the Father. Does it sound unrelated to you? Do you meditate on the truths of God's word, not just for information, but for relationship, for communal interaction with the Father? Or does it sound like what you do? Last year, it was me and three or four guys would meet at the farmer's market in Nashville, and we were journeying through a book by an author by the name of Kyle Eidemann called Grace is Greater. 
We would meet for lunch and kind of talk through the chapters and read scripture and relate in. One of the most impactful weeks for us with the other guys was a week and interacting the book was a chapter that really dealt a lot with a compulsion, a compulsion for worry, a compulsion of fear, and a compulsion toward anger. In a sense where a person might deal with fear, anger, or worry to where they would continue to reflect back on a past offense. And it just continued and continued and continued in their mind. Or where they planned out revenge to people that had done wrong things to them. Or they kept processing through and imagining fears concerning the future and what laid ahead. And Kyle Eidelman goes on to say, that's 2019 meditation that we meditate on anxiety, that we meditate on fears, that we meditate through worry, that we continue to process through and process through and process through. He says where we keep going over and over these things in your thoughts and your imagination, and they destructively affect your emotional state. We do understand meditation. It's just what are we meditating on? Verse 2 in Psalms 1 said, instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So we need to carve out space and time to thrive, to know our creator, to know our father, just the way I stood in line to put quarters in on a payphone, to interact with my wife many years ago. If you lack joy in reading God's word, if you're uncomfortable in it, if you have no idea what it means, if you're hesitant toward us, no, you're not alone. That's the majority of us. Slow down. Make space. Replace the natural meditations. Anxiety, fear, worry with habitual daily, nightly meditation on God's word. Chris did send me a message this week. Hey, Gary, do you mind speaking this week? I sent back, sure, I'm all in. And I said, is there a direction you'd like me to go, Chris? Is there a series that you guys have been into? Can you think of something right now for 24 that would be strong for them? He said, man, I give you the freedom. Just journey however you like to. Sometimes that's difficult to do. But for me, I knew I was moving into summer. Summer's kind of a new time, a new place. It's a time for change. Just the way August and September when school starts for our kids, it's time for a rearrangement. And so for me, I think, what would it be like for 24 to continue to be, have a sense of depth in God's word or to start new? Or for some that don't know the story of the Father, to begin to dive into the words of God. See, I'm convinced it's important, but not just from my thoughts, from the writer's thoughts. The writer said, this is important. This is a life or death issue. Now, I'm not one that very shares life or death things so much. I don't want us to be shocked. I want us to dig and go, okay, I see value there. I have a few guys in Nashville. They see value in their life, and they want to move on in a healthy way. But they're dealing with some 12-step issues from the past, so they need people to interact with them on an ongoing basis. So how we interact with each other based on how we're doing, sometimes it's just a simple text. And sometimes the simple text is, hey, could you give me a call? One, one, one. That means no big deal, just want to chat. Sometimes I'll just get a text from a variety of guys that'll say 411. Okay, that's getting a little deeper. 711, you got to call them right away. 
I can remember one night a guy, 811. I got 811. Dude, I called him right back. I said, hey, what's up? Hey, I run out of gas. My motorcycle. I'm like, dude, that's not 811. He's like, what's the criteria on the 11s? I don't know, but 811, that's like you're about to die. Somebody's got a gun on you. Your life's going down the tubes. He said, could you just bring me some gas and not lecture me, man? I'm like, I'm right in the middle of a football game. Do I have to come right now? To which he said, get over here. Can you bring me some gas? To which I did. Right here in this scripture is a 911. Look at how the writer writes. He writes 911. Look at what it says, verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. He's talking about the course of your life. Which direction are you going? Or stand in the pathway with sinners. And that means what are you standing on? Are you standing on beauty, truth, goodness? Are you standing on the things of the Father? Are you standing on something else? Or one that doesn't sit in the company of mockers. That's a lazy individual. That's an individual that's lethargic. They're not engaged in anything. They're just mocking. They're just scandalous. Uh, it's just like somebody's just sitting in their room and they're Facebook. And I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. But there's no movement in their life. They're not standing on anything. They just sit back and put something down. And he says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. To do so means he will be like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. This is where he's bringing in the importance here. He's saying to be in relationship with the creator means this. And this is how the meditation on. But to not be is the wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. No foundation, no stability, rotting away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It's this contrast. The voice of the Father, the voice of the evil one. To be happy, to be blessed, to have full life, to have security, to have peace, means to be in a relationship with a creator that designed us to be in a relationship with him. It means to accept that privilege. Thank you, Father, for that ability to be in relationship with you. And then engage in the responsibility. Matter of fact, number 624 says this. I love this verse so much. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. See, there's security and joy and peace that God's personal presence reveals. The writer's writing to us individually saying, what's on your about page? If your parents in here, you could say, my about page is about my kids. If your husband in here, my about page is about my wife and my kids. My about page is about my creator. And how I walk with my wife. How I lead my children to meditate on the things of the Father. I think about it this way. If you're a single individual or a young individual thinking about dating, what are the values of the individual that I'm dating that I'm in relationship with? Do they have a value in their life that they're meditating on God's word? That they're being shaped by his voice so that they are a planted tree, that they have firm foundation in their life. 
Spurgeon said it this way, and this is what I love so much in reference to this verse. He says, Psalms 1, it is not. Blessed is the king. It is not blessed is the scholar. It is not blessed is the rich. But blessed is the one. This blessedness is as attainable by the poor, by the needy, by the broken, by the forgotten, by the obscure, he says, as by those whose names figure in history and are trumpeted by fame. See, the scripture not only reveals information about the creator, not only information about sending his son so that we might be in a relationship with him, it is an environment in which we personally encounter him. Are you maintaining the blessing of God's presence when circumstances overtake you? When new course in life are happening, when struggles, heartache, and pain are there, do you move to a deepening of fear, anger, doubt, anxiety? Are you trusting in the things of the Father by foundationally, habitually meditating on his word? To meditate will bring you in his presence, enabling you to commune with the creator, our designer, and our creator. His presence will outweigh any situation you're in. It doesn't mean it's going to just go away. It's going to vanish, but it's going to strengthen you. And he will faithfully follow him through that situation. Verse 3 says it. He says, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prosper. See, your roots are deep, and they're drinking daily of the truths of the creator, the life-giving source of God's word firmly plants you. You're not easily blown away by struggle, by heartache, by pain, by change, by winds, by adversity, by loss. Not that I didn't before, but since I've resigned as pastoring in Mosaic, I've had a greater opportunity to engage in other communities of faith. Not every Sunday, but for a lot of Sundays, boom, nine o'clock, I'm on your Facebook, all right? So I click on, see what's going on. If the sound's not on, I love just harassing. Hey, you know, your sound's not on. Or, hey, Chris, you look good today. Nathan, great job with the song. Not that those guys are reading through, but it's, it's me sitting and mocking, okay, and just talking smack, okay? But I've been thankful, too, all right? Been thankful too. It matters where we're visiting. There's another church, Restoration Church, which is a good friend of ours, the Pastor Aaron Swartz. They kick off at 10 ish, and I'll click into their Facebook page. And then there's another church where we'll go. And I love just the digging in to see what's going on. But in seeing that over you guys over the last nine months, I know of hurt. I know of loss and pain. I know those that you've lost that have been a part of the community forever, those that you've lost suddenly. I know those that have entered into the family of God, given their life to Christ, and been baptized. In the midst of the struggles of life as singles, as parents, as individuals, as a community of faith, we say, what gives us foundation? Is it our brilliance? Is it our wisdom? Is it our smarts? Is it our music? Is it our communication? It's our interaction with the Creator, the one true God. We're firmly planted. To meditate and commune with the Father means we will bear fruit in season. 
Therein means your character will grow stronger and stronger and more godly, which means you're going to attract people to the living Father. There's going to be seasons where there's not evident, but probably short run. Be followed by fruitfulness, and then you won't wither. It means you're going to run the course, the course over time. Eugene Peterson, I always forget the title of a book he had, but it's A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that title. Long obedience in the same direction. The dads, there's long obedience with the father in the same direction. For moms, for singles, no matter where you are in life, a long obedience in the same direction that you're not going to wither, that you're going to prosper in whatever you do, which doesn't mean career or finances. It means that God will accomplish his will through your life through adversity, through hardship. And then the importance in here is that we understand that if we do not meditate on God's word, you're going to have a life like, verse four, the wicked are not like this, instead they're like chaff, that the wind blows away. I just shared with you, I don't know how to do a fire pit, okay? I don't know much about agriculture or things like that. I read that work. Okay, see, H-A-F-F. I kind of know what it is, but what is that? So I look it up. As our researcher said, it's the opposite of a tree. I thought that was funny. Okay, thank you. I got definitions for dummies when I looked that up. And it goes on to say it's the dry, scaly, protective, ca- protective casings of the seeds of cereal grain or similar fine, dry, scaly plant materials such as scaly plants of flowers or finely chopped straw. Okay, what does that mean? And then last night, the girls had gone to bed, and I was kind of shutting down the house, and I noticed some flowers that were on um, the bar in our house, and some of the leaves and scales had fallen off. I thought, oh, that's like jab. Those things are just blowing all over. The air condition's blowing, and all those little fine casings are blowing all over the house. I guess I need to get a broom and sweep all that up. I did not. <laughs> I went up and went to bed, and in my mind said, I'll look at that again in the morning. It wasn't there in the morning. It's probably found a nook and crannies, my mom would say, somewhere in her home because it's blown all over. It's light. It's easily blown away. It's not nutritious. It quickly rots and perishes. In a commentary I was reading this week, the writer said, we like to believe that we can create our own reality that will lead us to the destination that we desire. I always thought that growing up. I could think about what I wanted to do, and I could accomplish it. I mean, Disney told me that my whole life. I could do whatever I wanted to do. I always wanted to slam dunk a basketball. I have never been able to do it. One time I tried jumping off a trampoline, and I busted my back, okay? It was at that point in time I didn't believe Disney, And the truth of life began to invade my soul (laughs) through physical pain, yes. As the writer writes, we cannot create our own reality to lead us to the destination we desire. He's saying, that's not what that passage states. There's two voices, either the voice of the evil one, which leads to death, or the voice of God, which will lead to life. There's only two ways to build your life. One upon the foundation of God's word and God's story. One on sand, which will diminish and decay and not give foundation. 
You can either build your life on the transforming word of God that conforms us into the image of the Father for the sake of others, or we could be conformed to the spirit of this age. Parents, we can raise our kids to be transformed by the ways of the Father or transformed by the ways of the world. We could communicate to them, either this voice drives your life or this voice drives your life. And the commentary goes on to say, you don't have the power to make your own path and forge your own reality. I argued with the commentary, yes, I do, I do. And he goes on to say, you have the much smaller but significant power to choose which voice will mold you. The voice of the Father, our creator, who sent his son so that we might have a relationship with him, who said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I have come so that you might be restored to your original design to be in a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. I have come so that you might be firmly planted. I have come that you might have security, that you might have comfort, that you might have peace. I have come that you will have, in the midst of heartache, anxiety, and pain, me there. I have come so that you might carry out my word to make my name known. Which voice are you listening to, 24? Psalms 119 says, open my eyes. so that I may contemplate your wondrous things from your instructions. Would that be on your about page? I have my eyes open to the instruction of the Father. I carve out time in my day, in my week, to meditate on the things of the Father. I spend time with my family talking about, engaging with the story of the I listen to the stories of others and pray for the opportunity to share the story of God. As we began with today, we close. Will Herberg says, faith is responding to the call of God. When we read the Bible, it's so we sat witnessing some tremendous epic drama being performed on a vast stage when suddenly the chief character, God, our Father, Creator, who is also the director, steps forward, steps forward to the front of the stage, fixes his eyes on us individually, points his finger at us and says, come up here, take your part, enter into my story, continue flourishing in the story of the Father, as we meditate on God's instructions, grow in his ways for the sake of others. Won't you pray with me? Father, I thank you for 24 Church, for planting them right here for the purpose of making your name known and growing these individuals in your ways. Teach us not to just read his information, Father, but to muse on, to ruminate on, to meditate on, to engage in, to digest your scripture so that we might continue to grow in our relationship with you. Thank you, Father, that you created us for relationship. We accept that privilege, Father, and we long to engage in the responsibility. In your name we pray, amen.